Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD Podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joining my buddy and co-host, Seamus. Seamus, how you doing? Doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I'm very excited for tonight. How about you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, we haven't we haven't had an interview in a few weeks. It's, yeah. It's been, yeah, we definitely got a little rusty, but we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> yeah, so who do we have on? Uh, tonight, we got a very, very special, awesome guest. We are joined by James Sue, the host of Humans of Magic, one of my favorite podcasts. James also is the co-founder of Cardboard Live and StreamSage. Uh, he has interviewed many legendary and, and fan-favorite Magic personalities, some of my favorite players and favorite interviews. It's an honor to have you on our podcast tonight, James. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing better now that I'm on this show. So thank you guys for having me. Oh, absolutely, yeah. man. I'm yeah, for sure. Thank you for reaching out. I was surprised when I got your email. It, it, every once in a while, email surprised me and yours was one that I was not expecting to receive. No, I think you guys do an excellent job with the show and you guys are great interviewers. So in a kind of selfish way, I'm also trying to learn how you guys do it by <laughs> being on your show and just yeah. being a fly on the wall, you know? We should definitely learn from each other. Yeah, it's, it's funny. In our pre-show, we were talking... When we did the interview with Jerry, uh, Jerry T, I actually listened to James's interview to get prepped for it. And uh, that was really, really insightful. And I thought that was interesting. You then listened to our Jerry T episode and then reached out to us. So it's cool. Like from like, yeah, yeah. It's very meta, I guess. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Shout out to Jerry. Let's, let's start with the easy stuff. How'd you get into Magic the Gathering? I got into Magic the Gathering in the early 90s when my brother and I found what was called revised edition or third edition. Our family was basically just walking around in a mall. There were malls back then, or I guess there still are malls now, but we used to go to the mall every weekend and there was a game hobby store and we just saw the two-player starter set for Magic the Gathering. We saw the displays of the cards. We saw the fantasy stuff. My brother and I were just immediately fascinated. Like, what is this thing? And our parents bought the two-player set for us. We took it home, studied the rule book. And of course, we didn't know the rules. We kind of made a lot of the stuff up. But that's basically how Magic started for us. That, that was 1994, right? That was around 94, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Alpha, Beta, Unlimited had already passed. Like Magic has such a micro, small print run. Of course, this is also pre-internet. Internet, so nobody knew anything. So we found it when it became more of a mass market thing in revised edition. And did you guys play for quite a while or did you guys take a break and stop playing? I mean, we played for quite a while. We just played casually. We didn't go to any stores to play. We just played at home and we did the whole typical buy booster packs, build the decks and the decks got bigger and bigger. The whole casual kitchen table play at home. My brother and I played with all the rules. We played with Annie as well. So we also, we had our own collections and, you know, I remember playing Demonic Attorney and like just mm. winning the other person's cards. And we basically didn't play tournaments. We just played casually. I think we played all the way up to Alliances or Mirage visions it was around that block mm -hmm. and then basically just put it away for a long time uh went to i mean i grew up in canada so went to university or college as as you call it in the u.s went to college and just decided magic was too nerdy i didn't want to do that stuff anymore just put it away right you found girls yeah, found girls found social activities found yeah. discovered the stigma of magic and just kind of moved away from that i was off magic for quite a long time and even up to that point i had never played in a tournament or anything like that that's, that's, that's funny. Like uh, Josh and I used to play like back in seventh grade. I, I I pretended like I didn't play when we were at school. I would play when we got back to the house. Though. <laughs> <laughs> there were play groups in high school. I did see them. And once in a while, I would try to like sneak my cards and play with them. But I don't know why. I think at that point, I was still much more antisocial. And I just didn't really feel like playing with the other kids at school. I mean, I didn't know anything about power levels back then. So I was just looking at what they're doing. And I was just like, that doesn't seem fun. If I brought my deck into this more competitive meta, I, of course, I didn't know what a meta was. But this group doesn't seem that fun. Maybe I should use my lunch hours to play basketball or do something else instead. So I kind of stayed off that. What was it that got you back into it? basically have been an adult with disposable income. So I I, uh, <laughs> I got money to blow. Let's buy some magic cards. Yeah, that's usually how it goes, right? 
Magic was the first game. But in high school, I was obsessed with the Star Wars CCG. I had actually played Star Wars CCG competitively. Like I actually went to a regional tournament. I remember my dad flew with me to Calgary, which is like another province in Canada. And actually, even today, I joke that I kind of peaked as a Star Wars CCG player uh, (laughs) in high school because I was so obsessed with that game. I just, for some reason, I think that game was way more appealing to me because I kind of like got into the competitive scene for that. I kind of figured out how to do it. And that game was just designed terribly as well. So it's like there were really degenerate things you could do. And by doing those things and knowing that in the room, like there were only like maybe three other people that knew those things. It was just a huge edge. I guess it was kind of like early magic as well. It's like if you knew these concepts that the other kids didn't know, you would be so far ahead, right? Like building a slide deck or building a deck that actually understood what Temple was, like tightly constructed. You could do so much then and you, just, you could just basically destroy the people that were playing these casual kitchen table decks in tournaments. So when I got into college, I stopped everything because it was that was also nerdy as well. <laughs> Fast forward to, I think it was 2008. I graduated from undergrad in, I think, 05. So it was a few years into working in tech. And then one day I just found out that my friends were also playing Magic again. There was a play group and I knew them from high school and they started playing again. And this time I was a little bit more receptive to playing. So that's kind of how I got back. It was just a social thing. Can escape the nerd, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Always the interesting thing about Magic is such a a social game. The gathering of Magic is way more fun and and more personal than the actual card game itself. It's funny, like, I I feel like friends always get other friends in the Magic. Like, it's kind of like your duty as as a friend to, like, all right, I get my friends back in the Magic, especially if you know they quit after a while. Because, like, Seamus, like, more or less got me in the Magic. And then, like, we stopped playing and I got him back into it. And yeah, it's it's interesting that that dynamic. Yeah, Josh is like a shark now. (laughs) I mean, I've been a shark for like 20 years at this point. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It's really funny because it seems like, I mean, the overarching narrative I have found by talking to people on my podcast is just that you never really quit magic. I mean, obviously, I'm selecting for uh, survival bias, right? Because these people are obviously still playing magic, but there's so many people that we know that I'm sure you know as well that's just like magic is always going to be a part of us, even if we don't play it. You always remember it's kind of like riding a bike. If you see a magic card in 2022, even if you had never played for the last 10 years, like it just triggers something in your, in your, memory there's just something very distinctive there's something very compelling about the game i'm kind of interested in what you both of you guys think about that what do you think it is about magic the gathering that's so compelling it's hard to say i feel like because like we've just been playing it for so long like 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 you said it's hard to imagine not playing magic and can you imagine like 20 years from now like magic's still gonna be i can't imagine magic not being around it's weird to think about like that but also when i was in high school like i i I never would think like magic would still be around by now like it's kind of like a nostalgia to mm-hmm. to an extent, and it's a familiar feeling. I think it's really the dopamine or the new cards aspect of it. Now, of course, now it's extreme, right? Because now it's yeah. like seems like every other day there's a new set. Always a spoiler. Always a spoiler. It's like you're you're like halfway into the new set, and then the, you're like halfway into the the spoilers for the next one. It just never ends. And like I get bored. I'm like, all right, let's look for the next set now. I've seen enough of this set. Let's yeah, let's yeah, the yeah. Next yeah. It's like, okay, here are the top five cards for the set. Okay, let's talk about the next set now. You know, <laughs> yeah. we can just skip this set. The reason I brought up Star Wars is also because playing Star Wars and seeing it actually die because it died in, in the 2000s. They kind of like oversaturated the game. And for various reasons, I, I don't think we need to get into it, but the game died. And when I came back in 2008 and I saw what magic was and there were still new cards and you could like kind of look at these new blocks and planes. And I, I guess at that point there were planeswalkers already or maybe no it was, it was Laura, so not yeah, not yeah. yet yeah. it was time sparrow when i got back but just having that appreciation again of like wow this is a living card game like it's dynamic and there's new things coming out and as a kitchen table player it was actually fun to see what are the new cards coming out that i can add to my deck because when you become a more competitive player that doesn't really matter i mean sure there's two cards that you can add to your competitive legacy deck or whatever but Back then, it was like that deck was your identity. So you were like paying attention to all the new cards in the set that were blue because your deck was blue or because your deck was a black deck or something like that. There was a kind of personal investment into Magic, which I think it's very pure. And I think over time, when you become a more competitive player, you just lose that because the lore and the, the flavor and the stuff, it doesn't really matter anymore. You don't care that this thing's a vampire anymore. You just care that this thing is going to help you win. Yeah, right. it's, it's an on-curve creature that has like overstats. Like, <laughs> yeah, you definitely like lose a bit of that magic. Uh, no pun intended. Because I've been I've been a spike for for quite a while, and it's just 
I, I wish I can turn it off and all that's that's like my only problem with magic. I, I can't turn it off and like even if like like when I try to play like casual formats like EDH and, and shit like that, it's it's so hard to turn it off because like I'm still like I still want to play to win because like that's that like you said the dopamine where it's just like all right, I gotta get it back in me. Like, come on, like I, I need to win. I need to win. So I wish I could turn it off. I, I think I think games are. I mean, it's it's especially competitive games. It's a the it's it's almost like a space for exploration, right? And like it's you know I think especially competitive people they, they admire ingenuity. You know, find finding new ways to win, and like like people that are competitive, like winning is almost a value. You know what I mean? That's like part of your value system. I can see like like ca- you know the casual and the, the competitive nature is kind of clashing in that way. Like when uh, when people people are a lot more interested in the lore and everything, and they get attached to the cards and the story, and like there's there's kind of a self narrative in there as well. Mm-hmm. And then compared to someone who's just like kind of like looking at the rules and just like I, I gotta I gotta win. Like how can I like uh, what's what's the what's the like min max like perfection to this this particular format? And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just something in us as competitive people. Because I'm sure for you guys too, it kind of started. I'm sure it started before Magic, right? I was competitive, and I guess still am competitive in Magic. I'm more of a spike than anything else. But I've always been that way. Whether it's like playing basketball with people casually, I want to win, <laughs> right? There was a point of time where I was really into poker and online poker in oh, the yeah. in the 2000s. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you there to have fun? No, not really. You're there to like take their money, right? And that there's just a certain disposition that people have. And I think that actually the biggest practice of empathy I have now is interviewing commander players on my podcast because they're very popular people. And I am I, I'm not shy about saying like they help the podcast grow because they're some of the biggest people in the community. And I think practicing empathy just means trying to figure out their point of view and just getting removing yourself from that bias of like everybody thinks like I do like they don't obviously and that that's been really tremendous as well is just try to understand before the recording we're talking about mindset right just trying to understand their mindset too what is the casual mindset i've had all these conversations with commander players like about rule 0 and and me explaining to them like i just can't calculate that because when you're talking about creating a, a system where you have all these different incentives, but as a spike, it's very pure. Like it's simply about when you're losing. When you play a fighting game, it doesn't matter if you win by spamming a combo or like one move, right? Because if you beat me with that, I'll figure out how to how to counter that. Like I won't get frustrated. I'll figure out how to beat this overpowered strategy, right? That's always been the narrative of how I want to live my life. Is like if I get down, this is maybe getting a little bit too much, but. No, that's good. Deep. I'll risk it, right? Like, I don't complain that the world is unfair. I don't complain that somebody beat me to a job or whatever using this technique. I just figure out, okay, what did they do, and how do I, how do I get right. back at them? Right, and right? it, it, it is a, it is a goddamn blessing that it even exists. You know that that, that that there was even somebody that existed that, that that could best you because like that gives you an opportunity to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That makes me hungrier. Right, yeah. right, and it's 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 like it's like you you have respect for that, and you're like I, I don't know, you're almost thankful that there's a there's an opportunity. Absolutely, and that's like something that I've always gravitated towards. But I think also with age, you kind of you learn to mellow out a little bit, right. you learn <laughs> yeah. to like appreciate other people's perspectives, and so I think the whole podcasting thing is also really great because it's one of the few times that people really open up to you in that way, and it's a good it's a good reminder that the world doesn't revolve around yourself, you know. That's a good segue. Why did you start podcasting? So I was I was ultra spiky, as I said, and mm-hmm. I got really deep into the competitive scene because after 08, I, I actually started getting really deep into limited and legacy formats. So, you know, for Magic players, it's basically more of a classical format to play with older cards because I had missed out on that stuff. And I became very much a tryhard and I, I went into that whole cycle of having Magic validate who I was. It's very typical, right? I think every FNM, Friday Night Magic, there's somebody there that's like that. That's That was me. So it got really bad to the point where I think I pretty much was close to burning out of Magic. I think this is like 2015, 2014. And I had put a lot of myself into Magic and wanting to do well in tournaments and all that stuff. I mean, I won't bore you with the details there, but... My, my life story, I definitely understand. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean it's 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 almost universal, right? Because it's the dark side of like wanting to be competitive because you don't the results don't always happen. And if I'm honest with myself looking back, I was not a very good player. I'm very public with how I started playing Magic Online like 3 years ago and I just totally leveled up my game and before that I was basically like free money for people that and I didn't know, right? So it was kind of like being a fish that didn't know that it was surrounded by water. But basically like around that time 
I was pretty close to like just leaving Magic. I was sick and tired of Magic. I didn't date to a GP or whatever stupid trivial goal that I set for myself. And I just started writing about how this is the final thing I'm going to write about Magic. Magic sucks. Like, and I start kind of writing my life story about Magic. And I posted some of that stuff on Reddit. And I was really surprised that I got a huge reception. And people were like, this is a really good uh, thing you're saying. I can relate to this and blah, blah, blah. And then I decided to like keep writing. Like I started to keep writing. And through writing, I kind of worked out that it's pretty normal to go through this stuff. And I realized there were a lot of holes in my game and all that stuff. So I did all that. I ended up turning those blog posts into a book. That was the first book that I published and released called Magic the Addiction. And I was addicted, not maybe not actually addicted to magic, but just addicted to chasing the dopamine and chasing the the winning. And that was really nice to just get that off my chest. So after I did that, I was just like, I think I can still play magic and still contribute to magic, but I'm so tired of writing about myself (laughs) and thinking (laughs) about myself. So why don't I just turn the tables and actually talk to other people and figure out their stories? And that's basically how Humans and Magic began. When you first started, what were you looking for in, uh, in in each person that came on? Like, what kind of experience were you trying to trying to give to them and the listeners that that you wanted to garner? The initial episodes were really really rough, and it was really getting like people or friends that I knew initially to do it because I think a lot of podcasts kind of start that way. You're kind of <laughs> just like you don't know what you're doing. I think in the beginning it was just like how people approach competitive magic. So I was really trying to interview spikes and or people that I thought were spikes and figuring out how they got to where they were. Because I'm all, I've always been interested in those types of podcasts myself outside of magic. It's kind of like performance and mindset and how did people get to where they are in, in business and other walks of life. And so I wanted to do that for magic. And I kind of felt that there wasn't so much of someone doing that in the magic space. And I mean, the way that I did the interviews back then, the techniques were pretty bad. I mean, it's pretty cringeworthy just listening back to you know episode one or episode five, but that's kind of what I did. I just wanted to start and I wanted to start off by figuring out how people thought about competitive magic. What was the, what was the biggest thing that, that you were missing in the beginning that made it cringy, as you say? I didn't know how to have a conversation. I just didn't know how to how to transition. Talk to people. <laughs> yeah, like I would do things like they would say something and I would actually repeat what they said and then ask my next question. I basically came, I mean, I, I have a tech background as well and I've d- always done a lot more of the job interview style. So it was very much like, here's the questions that I have. Like there's 10 questions in front of me and I'm just going to ask you these questions in order, no matter what you said. And that was very cringy. That was... Because I think I think now I kind of figured out you still need to have a structure, but you can't overdo it. Like right. it can't be robotic because you need to make the people you're talking to also feel like they can open up. If I just said something and you you totally don't acknowledge it and go to the next question, <laughs> that's just terrible, right? Yeah. The, the best is like when people ask questions and like the person already answered that question, telling their like the previous question. Yeah, it's like you didn't even like, listen to what I yeah. said, like you know, five minutes ago, right? <laughs> Like when you first started and you were listening back to yourself, was it easy for you to recognize um, what you needed to work on and like, you know, how, how things weren't quite working? Probably not. Okay. Because I, I also, I like to think I was and am self-aware, but I think we always have blind spots. So was it, was it something where you, you kind of had a sense that a sense of what was wrong, but you, it wasn't something you could codify? I think in the beginning, I was also a bit more nervous about hearing myself. You know, everybody has that phase. I think certainly for me, I initially had reservations about hearing myself in the recording. Uh, Of course, after years and years, you get over that. But initially, that was also a part of it too. I didn't listen back to the episodes and really try to honestly, critically review what I was doing. And it's also hard, right? Because I think you need to surround yourself with people that in generally in anything to push you to get better. This is why Mm -hmm. I think when you guys are a duel in your podcast, I think it's generally good. But when I was doing like the one-on-one stuff, your friends don't really tell you that you're doing a good or bad job. This is kind of like validate what you already believe, right? They're like, oh, James, you have a podcast. That's great. Keep doing it. Or the guests are kind of like whatever because they're, they moved on to their next things. They're not that interested in telling you. Although you, you, there are ways to, to ask them you know, for constructive feedback. And I've learned to do that better as well. I think you need to surround yourself with the right people that are really very critical and honest with you in terms of how you can improve your craft or what you do. So that's that's also something that's changed for me. It's just trying to seek out those people and also just being a lot more intentional, like listening to your own stuff and just thinking about like 
how can I get better? How can I get better? How do you find those people that you trust to, to give you like good feedback, but also that will be honest with you? I think it's difficult because even though I have a better circle of friends now that I feel like they can give me good feedback, I, I find that I'm still the most self-critical. But I think that's a good thing because I've always been self-critical. Like I've always I've grown up being very self-critical. I think it's just part of my personality. And I'm always thinking of how can I improve? How can I get better? So it's, it's more like just having friends that will nudge you towards that because the self-criticality, if that's a word, is already there. If I'm asking my friends, I also try to ask them in a very structured way. Like, okay, I noticed that. Or what are like three things that I, you think I'm doing wrong here? What are things that I can do to get better? Or when I try to do this, what do you think about that? So it's it's not very open-ended. I still try to wrap it in some sort of structure and ask them for feedback in a certain way. And was there like a, a turning point where you decided to start doing that? Like anything in particular, or was it just figured you needed to start doing it? I think actually a lot of it was just wanting to get better. I also have this anxiety about like, if I've been doing something for a while, and I've been doing this podcast for, for six years. And if I'm not improving, then I don't feel like I should do it. It's the whole beginner's mind concept. Once you lose the beginner's mind, you actually narrow what you think you can do because you just, you're sort of coasting, you're autopiloting. I can't speak for you guys, but I would assume that you also think about that when you do your podcast. It's like episode one is obviously much worse objectively than an episode now, but there's also things that you've held onto. And sometimes you have to figure out if those things that you're holding onto are worth holding onto. Yeah, because you, you you do get into a groove. Like like if, if you're not if you're not constant consistently evolving, like you were saying, uh, there's kind of like an expiration date on any particular version of of who you are. You know what I mean? And like that comes up very quickly if you're not continually like uh, evolving with the environment. Yeah, and you even said like being like critical on yourself. Did you ever have anyone like close to you that was like really critical that made maybe made you change what you were doing? Uh, I would say that for a lot of my career and also these projects. I've never really had anybody be super critical and kind of force me to change. It's it's always been sort of self-initiated. Like my parents were always saying that I was not to psychoanalyze too much, but I mean they always said I was doing good and you know I was a good student and you know I got into a corporate life, uh, jobs and it's like, "Oh, great, you know, you have a steady job or getting into startups." Oh, great. My mother would tell me like, "Oh, you know, you're taking a good leap." So, they were very happy with me doing what I was doing. So I never really had that pressure around the world. And so maybe that might also be a kind of overcompensating where it's like, I feel like I need to put pressure on myself because I can live a very comfortable existence if I wanted to, but that's just not interesting. I think it's just natural. It's just like, I feel uncomfortable when I get too comfortable. That's just how I am. So would you say that going through this experience, your ability to identify where your blind spots might be has, has gotten better? I think it has, but I think it's a double-edged sword because it also leads to a lot more self-doubt, right? Because if you have blind spots, you're probably also a lot more self-confident. And <laughs> the, the way that I am now is like, I'll just look at something like a political event or like a geopolitical event or something that happened in the world. But it's like, I'm always trying to see like the flip side of it. And that can also be sort of difficult. Because at the end of the day, you need to have a position. But I do find myself sort of like oscillating between positions because I'm always trying to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Even if they've done something that majority of the world thinks is terrible, I'll think like maybe there's a reason they've done that. Same with my own blind spots. Like, sure, we all have weaknesses. We all have flaws. And maybe the things that I had as a blind spot made me who I am today. So I can't really be too hard on yourself either. Just even if you can see that stuff, right? Or in, in somebody else. It's, it's kind of interesting. I never thought about that before. That's like the Dunning-Kruger effect for self-awareness, right? Like you get to a certain point, you realize, wow, like the self is a like a hugely deeper well than I thought it was. I don't really know much about anything. I know I know enough to get by, but if you have a lot of empathy, you almost always end up being like the devil's advocate to whoever you're talking to as well. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting thing that happens. Yeah. I'm almost like trying to help them because yeah. I always try to think like, you know, it's the whole giving people the benefit of the doubt. And there's also diminishing returns on that too, because, you know, sometimes people don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, right? right. Or at least in hindsight. There are there are those Machiavellian agents that do exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you actually go about like like picking like who you want to talk to? I mean, obviously like at this point in your career, if you're doing it for so long, I'm sure you get more of a, a cream of the crop and kind of pick who you want. Obviously, when you first started, you said you're interviewing your friends, but like currently, like in, in your current state, like what are you looking for in your guests? 
just somebody that I think could have a, I could have an interesting conversation with. I, my, my, I usually say people, if they want, if they usually respond back to me. I'm usually pretty excited. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this without seeming like an, an asshole or a dick, but you don't want to alienate your guests, right? <laughs> I just think that in general, I try to interview interesting people. And to me, interesting people is like, you have to have something more than just you can play Magic the Gathering well. I know that I've said that, you know, I, I gravitate towards the competitive players. and But I'm also fortunate that a lot of competitive players have a lot of stuff going on as well. And I think the mindset stuff is really interesting. And what they're also doing is very interesting. In fact, I had this talk, I think, as part of the interview with Jerry T recently, where it's like, if your life is just all about magic, or you think your life is validated by magic, you're probably not a very interesting person. So it's like, I probably <laughs> wouldn't want to talk to myself from my my low point a few years back, right? Because you can sort of sense that in people. Because like, if, if you're out there doing magic stuff, and you're contributing to help other people enjoy the game, generally, those are cool people. I mean, there's already a self-selection there, because that's how I would know about you. Because if you're just playing at home, I wouldn't know about you. So I think just someone who's interesting. I've also like just talked to people that I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't agree with everything they said because I don't like doing an interview also where it's like, I think I kind of figured out who you are before we started. Because what's the point in that? There's, there's no... It takes away the fun. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not fun. And I would rather have some sort of like debate about something. And I wish I did more of that, to be honest. Like I had a... <laughs> I guess recently I had Pete Hofling, and that was a really interesting one for me because I didn't agree with a lot of things he said, but I wanted to have that kind of back and forth. And I wish I did more of that. I think that really is like scratching some sort of itch that I need because I don't really want to just shoot the shit. I mean, shooting the shit is good for getting to the stuff, the meat of it, which is like, I want to know how you think. And as long as you're thinking in an interesting way and you can express yourself, then I want you on the podcast, basically. And oftentimes that also means I don't agree with you hundred percent, but that's totally fine. What was like, what was like, like any big lessons, like through interviewing these, your guests, like anything that really was like eye opening for you, uh, not, not just really the magic in general, but just anything that really surprised you. I think the thing that's surprising is just how universally awesome magic is. And it just activates the passions of people that are so different from one another. Magic activating Jerry T in a way that's so different from someone who's a, a cosplayer or an illustrator, but somehow it just unlocks this thing in their brain that makes them want to do interesting stuff. It's just that how can something so corporate and generic activate these things in people in different ways? I think that's been really... Actually, before you ask me this question, I, I don't think I ever even thought of it that way. It's just like, how universal the game is. And this is kind of my cynical side, right? Because it is a very intentionally like commercial game, but somehow it has this impact on people. Maybe it's kind of like how, you know, video games, what video games do for people, right? They're designed to like take your money and your attention and whatever, but they do something else for you as well. Do you have any, uh, any guests that you wish you can get, but you haven't been able to get yet? Like a white whale? Oh, yeah. Yeah. With our podcast, it's, we, we have like white, we actually have a list of people we would love to talk to, but like the journey of like getting up that list is, is, is mm-hmm. I find really, really, really awesome. And like one guest gets you to the next guest and gets you to the next guest. I'm sure yeah. your, your podcast is a very similar route. I mean, getting like people like LSB or like, like PB or something, it wasn't easy, but I'm, I'm curious, like if you have any like white whales you're still actively searching for. I still do. I still have some on the the bucket list. So one of them is Day9. Okay. I think he's kind of like the OG, one of the OGs of gaming. And Mm -hmm. one of my best friends who encouraged me to start Humans of Magic is a big, big fan of his, probably bigger than than I am of Day9, to be honest. I think that's somebody that I really want to talk to because he's gone through so much and he's also now involved in Magic, which is a good reason to do so. But it's challenging because I don't know what value i can offer him by him being on my podcast he's got a way bigger platform so but i mean to answer the question that that's one for sure i think sean is just a a good dude and i would really love to ask him about how what he wants to do in the magic space because for magic it just seems like for his youtube videos and things like that he just wants to have fun now he's sort of like mellowed out he's not the competitive starcraft player with his brother i want to talk to him about how that's changed for him and what changed for him. So I think that that mindset aspect I'm really interested in. 
it's interesting because as you like like you said like what value do you bring to the table and like i'm always surprised at like some of the guests that like come on our show like they, they have their followings like way big we had uh alex sulkin he has like a million twitter followers he he co-wrote the movie ted and ted 2 he's a family guy writer and like he, he was willing to come on our podcast and it's just like I, I'm always like humbled by that because I, I don't think people necessarily are looking for value all the time. Like sometimes they just want to talk and you'd be surprised that just people just want to talk sometimes. I think that is a kind of value too, is when you're giving them a way to just talk about something they don't usually have a chance to talk about because I, like he may not have a YouTube channel where he typically talks about that stuff himself. I think that is a value, right? Because you're giving them opportunity to open up and they're usually perceived a certain way, especially if they're fairly well known. So to give them that, I think is value. The difficulty with day nine is that he's been really open with his challenges and ups and downs over the years. And he does have videos where he actually just looks at the camera and says like this, this, this. So he already has that channel, which makes it harder, in my opinion, to for my show to give value to him. Best of luck getting day nine. But it's it's cool that you actually do have whales that you're still actively pursuing. Yeah, um, I'll just I'll just name one more because right, maybe yeah. there maybe he'll listen to this and it'll be like, yeah, let's do it, right? What the heck, right? Shoot your shot. You never know. Rudy from Alpha Investments. Oh, Rudy be cool. Yeah. Do you, do you talk to, to a lot of finance guys? I don't think I've seen like any of the magic finance guys on your. That's that's part of the reason why I want to talk yeah. to him. But I think he's one of the biggest finance guys. I think he's a very divisive figure, and I'm attracted to divisive figures. And I think that just be a fun interview to do because he has his persona of he's such a uh, schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but but it's it's cultivated, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's electrifying. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, and 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 he does this thing very well. And and like I said, I'm not. I, I don't hate on people for doing their thing very well. And he clearly has an audience base that he appeals to. I'm not really into that scene the way that a lot of his fans are, but that makes me want to talk to him. It's like, how did you develop this almost like cult-like following? I met him in Vegas and all, and like he literally had a crowd of people around him just watching him do stupid yeah. shit. And it was just like, yeah. it was weird. It was like, I saw like a huge crowd for him. Like, what's going on here? And then it's like, it's Rudy. And then like they're opening like legend packs or something fucking stupid. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I, I'm just fascinated by him because I don't I want to figure out, like, what is his thing? I mean, I'll just be transparent here. I tried reaching out to him. He never responded. There's a part of me that's like, OK, there's no upside for him to do an interview with me. Basically, there's no upside. The only downside is like he's going to say something that will destroy the mystique of Rudy Alpha Investments. Right. Because it's not in his native environment where he can just talk in front of his YouTube video and stuff like that. So, yeah, he has control. He has control, basically. Yeah. So. That's good. That would be a really hard one. But it's also the white whale because I understand that dynamic because that's also why I think it will never happen or very unlikely to happen. Like I have to I, I probably have to like go to Vegas and hunt him down and like actually the microphone in front of him just so he could talk. Right. It's just I don't think it's going to happen. And that's totally fine. But that's on my list. It's like I, I probably don't understand where he's coming from. I probably don't agree with a lot of things he does, but that's fascinating. Yeah, no, he's definitely a character and all of you. Definitely a fun interview. I don't think I've ever seen him do any interviews as well. Like, I don't think I've seen him on other people's podcasts. I mean, what's there to gain for him? Like nothing. And there are certain people like with that mindset where it's just like we've, we've had people we reach out to and like they, they basically said there's nothing in it for me. So I'm going to pass kind of, kind of thing. And it's just like I get that. At the same time, I've had other people just as embraceive. Like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll come on. So I don't know. Sometimes you just never know. I think that's that's what it is because I mean there's 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 a bunch of different types of people like like when you're starting out you're you're going to be able to get people that, that are enjoy talking about what they're doing they they, they might even enjoy coming on a, a podcast that has, that doesn't have as big a following to help people out you know what I mean but then but then there's there's other people that are like they're very motivated in their career and they're not going to spend any time not doing something that's going to add to their goal you know what I mean and like if their goal is getting more followers and like becoming like a more famous or or, or, you know, selling out more shows or something like that. You know, like it's going to be harder to get those, those types of people to come on when there's not much in it for them. Even, even when you're on a, on a smaller level, if you're pathetic and you're like, you're a good listener stuff like that, you you can provide a good experience for a guest to come on, you know, an enjoyable experience at least. But like, it's, it's those, it's those, like those, those like meta things, like increasing their reach and things like that beyond just the, the conversation that you're not, you're not going to be able to give them until you, until you do garner more of a following. Yeah. And more power to those people. They're they're very direct with what they want, or they're yeah. very clear what they want. That's admirable too. So I don't hate on anybody for. Uh, I'm not trying to imply that I will hate on anybody for. Oh no, absolutely not. Refusing yeah. interview. In fact, I just had somebody that I asked them like four or five years ago, and they turned me down. And so I was kind of disappointed at that time. But 
I'm going to record with this person now. Like oh, they actually cool. came out and said recently, like I listen to Humans of Magic. I really enjoy this podcast. And I'm just like, great. Well, that's I'm shooting my shot again. Do you want to do the podcast? And this time they said, yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's sometimes it's the long game, right? You know, a lot of things could have happened. A lot of things changed on their side. A lot of things changed on my side. So it's all good. So, and that's, that's the thing is like persistence. Like that's kind of the thing like, I learned if the people like give you like a little bit of like a window and like sometimes just, just wait a few months, wait, reach back out and all. And like, sometimes like stuff happens and like we've, we've had guests that was like six months, eight months, a year after yeah. we reached out, they come on and it's just like, all right, cool. Like, I, I've had guests. Seriously. I think, I think, I think I can totally relating to you guys. Like I've had guests where it's like, they were in the pipeline for like a year, a year and a half, two years. And finally, one day they finally remembered me and they're like, yeah, let's do it. I don't even know what happened. Like sometimes <laughs> it's just luck or timing, you know? Yeah. We got, we got some funny stories about some guys that like they agreed to it when they were drunk. And then, you know, later they're like, nah, who the <laughs> fuck are you? You know, I don't remember this. <laughs> yeah. Shout out. Yeah. No, no, don't. <laughs> and, uh, they cut that out. So. Yeah. I'll, I'll cut that. That's getting cut. I mean, even, even like with your, your guests overall, I mean, I know you, you initially said spikes, but then you're also branching off commander players or like more casual, the cosplayer stuff like that. Are you looking to possibly like talk to people that do like the artwork or like game design and development finance as well? Like, is that something you want to branch off into? 200% to the point where I wish I could like clone myself so I could do more episodes with clone one, thing one, thing two. They could like do the NTG finance angle and like, there's so much I want to do, <laughs> not to oversell it, but there's so much I want to do. I want to do more of the uh, specially produced episodes as well. Like I did a Ukraine magic episode mm -hmm. and I was... So proud of that one because it was kind of like taking a montage of interviews and editing it so that it was a there was a narrative and things like that. I want to do all these kinds of one shots and things as well, but there's only so much I can do as a part time thing. So yeah, yeah, I've got to balance that. Yeah, I definitely understand that struggle. It's it's so hard. Realistically, I would love to talk to someone like twice a day. Like have two interviews lined up a day and just, just yeah. do it all day long. It'd be awesome. Yeah. But the real world doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so you kind of have to temper your own expectations too. And also, uh, you know, going back to this is a long game. So don't. I've had periods where I get so excited about five or ten ideas at the same time, but. And then you realize very quickly that you can't do them all. You just have to, like, if you can do one of those things in the next six months, and as long as I'm still excited to keep doing Humans and Magic, that will be the most important thing because I've come close to to burning out in this as well. And I, you have to manage yeah. your expectations. Are you possibly looking at doing like another podcast not related to Magic or Magic Adjacent at all? Is, is that in the pipeline or something you've considered? That is something I really want to do. Like okay. going back to how this is a mindset show, right? I think it could be applied to other competitive pursuits, like without a doubt. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's already, I think Tariq was the gateway, like for flesh and blood. I wonder if you could do a humans of flesh and blood, a humans of League of Legends, humans of X. Humans of Earth. Yeah. Humans of humans are magic. Humans <laughs> are Earth. Like just change it. I wish I could do that. But then I'm also very conscious of, is that just going to put myself into trouble in the sense of, it's too broad or yeah, yeah. is there going to be too much competition? Like I wouldn't know how to really market my podcast then. Right. Because that's our biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we, we fall into that. Well, especially when we were starting out and even, even now, like we're having like in-depth conversations about creativity, about people's lives and like, and what they care about and all of that. But we, we also have this kind of like uh, shooting the shit comedy kind of really uh, immature angle as well. You know, those, those things yeah. kind of seem to be clashing sometimes. So it's, it's kind of interesting to parse through all of that. Yeah. Okay. So here's a su suggestion for you guys. I'm sure mm -hmm. this is probably not groundbreaking, but have you thought about maybe like just doing shorts of the comedic parts? Like, you know how, like when people have YouTube channels, channels mm -hmm. they'll do like a sub channel just for certain parts of it so you could definitely like cut and remix your content so that certain parts of discussions are there right yeah we, we, we've tried to leverage the the youtube the tiktok the instagram of like those things i, I always tell shameless like we're not comedians like we're, we're not necessarily trying to be funny a lot, a lot of our conversations like we, we try to go deeper and, and all that and so i don't think the comedy is necessarily like the good stuff at all. At least people don't come to our podcast for the comedy. They, they, I'm assuming they're coming to, to listen creative aspect. Why, why are people doing certain things, certain ways and, and all that and, and getting into like the, that person's mindset, like, like, like you said. 
Whereas, like, if we say something funny or something silly, like, I don't think that that really adds. I mean, it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea having a separate like clips channel for that. Could we could try different things and see if there's anything that hits? I guess you know it's I mean? fair because like, you can cross pollinate with like fan bases and stuff. Yeah, me and Josh together is like an, another thing that we haven't really explored very much. Very much. Oh, know, like, okay. Like just just us, okay. you know, talking about something. I I I think that that could be comedic and funny on some level. I think that's something you guys could explore because, to be honest, this is also something that. I've thought a lot about this year is like, mm-hmm. why are people listening to my podcast or why are people listening to WWSD? Right. I think at the end of the day, they're listening because of you, Seamus and Josh. Sure. I mean, they're going to come in because of the guest or they're going to come into Humans Magic because of the guest is Sherry T or whatever. But I think they still want this continuity or at least the real fans who are listening to every episode or every other episode. Like they're still wanting to be here for you. So if you can do stuff to highlight yourself as the interviewer, I think that's still valuable. Right. Because I I definitely didn't think like this even last year or six years ago when I started. I was just like, the perfect interview is like where I'm a fly on the wall. And they said Jerry T was great. And James was just an invisible guy that was just asking questions. But I think you guys should think about who are you and how can you get the audience more into who you are. And I have to be honest, this is this happened this year because I was just studying other interview podcasts and seeing how the hosts were doing it. Some of the good ones, like they find ways to strategically put themselves into the conversation, or maybe like in the intro, or maybe like in the outro, like after the recording's done, like they find a way to have bits. I think it's something to think about. Yeah. And that's the hard thing because, like, when you're doing an interview, you really want to showcase your guests. Like, at least that's the way I, I see it. Like, you coming on tonight, I, I don't want to talk about me. Like, I want to talk about you i want to like that's, that's what i'm interested like, i don't care about my life like i don't care about james's life i want to find out about james i want to like see what like makes you tick and all and it's such a hard thing and because like even like people might come for the guests but people like you said might come for the show every week and also it's, it's hard like that that give and take because like i'd rather just find out more about you and like instead of me talking about like my kids or me playing magic for an hour like i, I don't know i'd rather just talk to you about it I, I think there's different levels to it too. So, I mean, you, you got you got base level like like you were saying. We were doing this in the beginning too. Like you say, when you first started, I got question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. You know what I mean? And that can go to a certain point. You can have really good questions. You know what I mean? But then there's there's also there's a level level beyond that where you actually start to connect with somebody. You know, and like like where where somebody 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 got they get they get comfortable. You know, they they start actually like being authentic. You know, they, maybe they throw away like the uh, the the rehearsed answers that they've questions they've answered all the time, and then the their, their real life starts coming through. And then I. I think the next level is like being able to bring the less the listener in to that conversation where you're actually connecting and like they they get to become a part of that too like almost like in a parasocial sense you know like where mm-hmm. they're able to experience that like the kind of connection that like that you would have just in a normal conversation when everybody's together right and so some of like uh, a, lot, a lot of people like they listen to our show because it's it's very like we're just sitting around a table, just chatting and all we have kind of that, that warm like atmosphere where it's just like, you're, you feel like you're just sitting at the table with us and we're just, just shooting shit or, or just talking. Yeah. And- I hope it feels that way. It, it does feel that way. I mean, as a listener, I think you guys have a good vibe. This is also why I wanted to, uh, I'm honored to do, to be on here because I, I think you guys have a good vibe and you guys can still have table talk. You can still like have a little bit of before the interview or after the interview. Like, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I have seen that. Sure. It's always going to be about the interviewee, but there's also got to be a little bit of yourself in there. And it doesn't have to be like super overbearing or anything. Yeah. No, the worst is like we listen to like, like a random podcast for like, like someone you want to listen to. And then like the, the host or the, the hosts are just talking over. Just them, takes talking over. Their, yeah. 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 Just talking about like their bullshit. Like, oh, yeah. This weekend I saw a movie. Like, I don't care about you seeing a movie this weekend. Like, <laughs> it's like you're making small talk. Like, it's, it's just like a waste. It's probably good to share things that are meaningful, but. Yeah, you know, not what you yeah. had for breakfast <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah, or uh, or maybe people should go to your Instagram for that if you really care. Right? <laughs> yeah, because one of the one of the first podcasts that I really loved was uh, probably still one of the biggest ones. I don't really listen to it anymore, but it's uh, WTF by Mark Marin, and he was just—I'll be honest—like the interviews are really good, but he was very egregious about just doing like a fifteen-minute, thirty-minute monologue before right. <laughs> each one and i would always fast forward through those because i I really that's pretty brutal (laughs) i really didn't care i mean putting him on blast i'm sure he's he's fine with me putting him on blast yeah it'll give him material yeah exactly he's he's gigantic thrives on people hating him i think i i mean he's he's great but i mean he interviewed obama right in his garage but (laughs) 
no, it really happened. I listened to it. It was great. But there's some parts of it. It's just like, I'm not that big a fan of you. So I, I think I'm okay to just go to the interview. It's when an interview is like two hours anyway. So I think I need to just cut off the 15, 30 minutes, you know? And that's like the interesting thing with like certain podcasts. Cause like I only listen to them because of like who they're interviewing. Like I, there's like the, 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 the actual show itself. Like I, I might not necessarily care about per se, mm-hmm. but like the guest interaction. And then I, I don't know. There's just, there's certain like just podcasts where it's just like, if that host wasn't there, I, I think it would be more enjoyable where the, the guests are just <laughs> yeah, reading yeah, the yeah, questions yeah. themselves. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I've noticed that like, like there's, there's a few core podcasts I listen to every episode of. And then there's, there's others I listen to when they, when I want to hear the guest because I enjoy those people, but I like, I don't, I don't listen to it every single time. I think that's true for the majority of listeners, myself included. Like I'll listen to a podcast if like I like the person and I like this guest. So I'll listen to all the appearances and especially if it's different. Yeah. I mean, that's really the nature of the beast and why it's challenging for us with the podcast that we have. Right. Because in a way, it's kind of like the new world order of like, I mean, this is not YouTube, but it, it basically is. Right. Because like on YouTube, your thing gets viewed because someone's looking for something else and they the algorithm mentioned to them that hey, you might want to check out this other thing. Like you have like, you know, videos that blow up, but then everything else in the rest of the channel, like nobody watches it, right? So it's the same thing with interview podcasts. It's like they come, but how do they stay? It's it's really hard. I, I haven't quite figured it out. So if you figure it out, you you have to tell. No, me. no, no. And that's, that's I, I feel like, like our, like podcasts like ours and, and yours, like we kind of do like a service for people where it's like, they can pick and choose and all. I like having like that option because like I, I'm I'm guilty of it, so I I can't be upset when people do it to me. Like I'm not like okay. that big of a hypocrite, but like I, I do appreciate like 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 your podcast. Like you interview people. Like I want to hear talk. Like I want to hear like PB or LSB or, or or Jerry or whatever. I'm really excited that that because if it wasn't for like your podcast or like our podcast or whatever, like those interviews wouldn't have happened. And so. Yeah, for like our podcast, I wish every episode everyone listened to as much as like the Jerry T episode. Like that episode got like a crazy amount of plays, and like I would love for like all all the episodes to be like that. But I can't fault people for for picking and choosing. Yeah, that's the that's the tension that we deal with as um, to do our shows is like reach versus intrinsic fulfillment. I think in the case of Jerry T, I know we keep going back to him. Like, I, <laughs> I love Jerry. Shout out to Jerry. <laughs> Shout out to Jerry. And he's also interesting to talk to. But yeah. imagine if there was someone who is like as famous as Jerry. So it helps your podcast. But they're boring as fuck, right? Like they just <laughs> they just have nothing interesting to say. Then do you still want to do it? It's like the devil's ransom or devil's bargain where it's like it helps your podcast. But does it really matter? And I think something I read recently really made me think about this in a new way, which is like Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss has an amazingly popular podcast. And this is he's actually one of the reasons I got into Humans of Magic and wanted to do in first place. I initially start off by trying to honestly just copy his method, right? Tools of Titans. <laughs> yes. I would say his podcasting is better than his writing. And that's, that's just my, my personal take on it. Uh, I was never a big fan of the four-hour work week, even though I love his podcast. But tension aside, he said something recently that I really lean into, which is like, you can have really good conversations with people that are unknown as well. And sometimes you need to do that because it motivates yourself to keep going. And not every episode can be a Jerry T. And not every episode should be a Jerry T. There's probably a world where I could work out and I could just say, hey, what if every month I interview Jerry T? And every other month I interview Cedric Phillips or somebody who is very big in the magic space. They might be up for it, but I don't think I really want to do that either. So it's like finding a balance because if you're doing things just for the audience, that also demotivates yourself to some extent. Yeah. like so, Some of my favorite episodes are episodes where we just had our friends come on and it has to be fun. Like, that's the thing. Like, like we're, we're, this isn't our job. The, mo- the money we make doing this podcast is, is laughable, like compared to what we make <laughs> in our real lives. And so like, it's really a labor of love and, and it has to be fun. If, it, if you're just interviewing people for the sake of interviewing people just to drive like numbers up or something like that, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. And all like I've, I've had some guests, like I, when I reach out to them, they're, they're, they would ask for like compensation, monetary compensation. It's just like, I don't know if I want to like pay someone that like to come on my show and they just want to come on my show to like, they want, they're doing it for, for money. But at the same time, I can't fault them for like looking for compensation right. and all. It's like, it's, it's, it's their job, especially like content creators and stuff like that. Like if they're not streaming or something, like I understand like that are technically losing money and, and I get that. But at the same time, like I would like our guests to want to come on like, like, like you, you, you wanted to come on and that's, it makes us excited. And it's just guests were coming on. 
because I paid them. And then I was using that just to drive up listeners. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. It, the, what, I, what I find interesting is is thinking about, you know, like, like a guest, the guest says, look, like, this is my fee. And then I'm like, then I'm thinking, is, is this how the industry works? And then because there, there, there's like there's kind of a black box where all this stuff goes on and like like it's 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 interesting trying to figure out like what what, what is it uh you know like two bears one cave or like 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 really you know really popular yeah. podcasts rogan's podcast stuff like that like uh, on that level like what how is this stuff working like are, is is it something like if we get to a particular place are we are we going to be expected to pay is, is that something that's just an industry standard it's, it's kind of interesting like figuring out how that actually all works it's super interesting. I'm really glad that we have a chance to talk about this because I also don't know for sure. <laughs> like, and people have all these different expectations, right? I'll, I'll use a magic analogy. It's like, because um, you guys are magic players, so like, hopefully not alienating the audience. But if you're going making a deep run in a tournament and you scoop to somebody and they get into the top eight because you scoop to them and it's a really big tournament, right? There's often this expectation that they're going to like compensate you. They'll ship you a booster box or like a case of stuff, right? And that feels like very much the thing in the podcasting world as well. You can't control their perception, but let's say they looked at let's say that WWSD had a had a Patreon. I don't know if you guys do, right? Do. Yeah. Okay. But let's say that before coming on the show, I looked at your Patreon and I see that you guys are generating like, you know, 5k a month or something. Like I know that you're making a certain income level or I can objectively figure that out somehow, right? Then at what threshold are you supposed to compensate me for? To be clear, I'm not asking you to compensate it, right? right but I'm right, just yeah, saying that <laughs> hypothetically, if you if someone knows now you have like 2 million subs on YouTube or you have a certain level, at what point do you do that? Because there are big magic content creators that, will, that have been very public about saying like, when you're doing something for my show, I will compensate you. I'll pay for your flight. I'll pay for your appearance for you to do this here. And I'm not at that level. But I mean, at what point does it become the way to do it, right? That's something that nobody really, at least I don't know if there's a there's a standard. I don't think there's a standard. We, we had one guy I reached out to relatively recently. He was he wanted to come on initially. And then once he found out that we were doing like uh, YouTube and TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff like that, it kind of like weirded him out. It's like, oh, so you're going to be like monetizing like, like me yeah like monetizing 10 cents right so it's like yeah, yeah. It, it now affects him <laughs> yeah and it's like it's like it's so little of money but like he was it was kind of weirded out by that because it's like I, i'm my ip basically like this like i am my product and you guys are, are looking to monetize it and it's just like i'm just trying to create content man like I just, you yeah. sound like you seem like a cool guy before this conversation and i wanted <laughs> to talk to you <laughs> i mean if i see you on the street and I take a photo of you. Are you going to ask me to like pay you to take a photo of me? This is just something that happens on the internet now. Like someone watching this show now could also remix it and create a TikTok yeah. off that. I mean, maybe you would ask them to like take it off or whatever because it's your your IP. But that was actually one of his concerns as well. Because like once it's there, people can do whatever with. They can clip it. They can put it to like their own shows and all. And he was worried like, oh. But you already agreed to be on a podcast, so it's like someone could obviously like take your likeness and do something with it like someone could do a deep fake of me and whatever right oh there's enough audio content for for us where they can make us say anything they <laughs> we, we should start making deep face of each other that'd be fun <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of hours of your face speaking yeah, yeah. It, it is interesting though it is fascinating because i think by doing content ourselves we have a little bit more awareness i would say about what marketing is and what it isn't but I think for people that are just like, they've never thought of it, or maybe they're just thinking about it in the wrong way. That could also be true. It just leads to this kind of weird thing. I don't know if there's a solution for that. It's just like, I think it's just like the more you do something, the more you understand what goes on yeah, around absolutely. it. Because even if we're not marketing people, like we're engineers, we have to do it. But now that we have to learn it, then you have some appreciation for it, right? Whereas if you never do a podcast, you'll never have to worry about these things. And you'll ask for the wrong things and you'll get the wrong impressions about they're monetizing off me or because they can make 10 cents on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> we do ask one last question for our guests. Any words of wisdom for anyone aspiring to get into podcasting or, or even writing or any, any creative endeavor that you wish you would have got when you first started out? Yeah, just really believe in yourself. If you're not the biggest believer in yourself, then it's going to fail. Because no one else, no one's gonna believe in yourself more than you will believe in yourself. If you can't delude yourself to thinking that you are amazing, then don't do it. James, it's been an absolute blast having you on the podcast this evening. We really do appreciate it. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's been real insightful. It's been really, really cool to talk about uh, our, our different paths and everything. We've uh, learned a lot. That was really cool. Thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find more of you and your work at? I am addicted to Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter, Humans of Magic on Twitter. And you can also check out my website at humansofmagic.com. I have all the links. What about your blog site? My blog site is not always magic, but you can also check out writtenbyjames.com where I write about random stuff every week on Monday. It's great. You're a great writer. I've enjoyed quite a few of those articles you have there. Thank you. I didn't think anybody was reading it, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Quick question. Why do magic players love Twitter so much? It's, it's so funny. Only magic players seem to use Twitter. Magic players love Twitter because they love fantasy and Twitter is, isn't real. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. James, we actually, we, this has been an absolute pleasure. I really do appreciate reaching out. Thanks guys. And, uh, uh, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about your startups. We'd love to talk to you about that sometime. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a totally different, different track. The stream stage thing. That seems like, that seems like a really good idea. I'm excited to see how that goes for you. And cardboard live is absolutely killer. Thank you. Looking forward to more of your, your podcast, man. Keep up the good work. Have a good day, James. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Seamus. All right. Bye. That was fun. Yeah. That was a, that was a great time. It was cool. Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting because we usually don't talk to people that in, in the sim, similar, uh, not career path, but like something similar we, we do. And also it's, it's cool. Like hearing his side of it and, and like his struggles and, and, and all that. Cause like we, we, we definitely could relate more so than uh, some of our other guests we, we usually talk to. It's it's very interesting to me that people think that, that we're good at what we do. That's I'm like, what really? It's, it's very humbling. That's great. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, just like, I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe we, we should keep doing this. <laughs> No, no, it, it, it's always like the the weird thing because like uh, even even like when we have like like all of our guests look come in like yeah I listened to a couple episodes it sounded really good and it's just like I don't know like I'm always like self critical in that sense but like at the same time I'm like a realist and it's yeah. just like it, it's weird I don't know I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm like well are, are they being nice is this like like I I've always I always thought what we do is I thought I thought it was fine but I I I think that there's a we could be doing a, like much better you know like there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of room for us to grow you know there's a lot of things we could be you know uh, not just in the interview but also with other things but I I, I think in this format there there just is a lot of a lot of growth to be had no but like li- living in the moment and like definitely like taking it in like like for like its face value and it's like I know that's one of my my number one complaints about you is like you're you don't really like do that too often. And I've been very critical of us like the whole time. And I apologize for that. I know that that's, I think it's good to have awareness, uh, but like not be emotional about it. Like I get sometimes, you know, where, where I feel horrible. Well, not, not, even, not even that, but be just, just be happy. Like, like people are enjoying it. And, and like, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, people want to come on and reach out right. to us and, and shit like that. That's, that's the thing. Like we can always get better, but like, yeah, living in the moment, like, like appreciate what we've done and are, and are doing and all, or at least appreciate what I'm doing. <laughs> all right, right, right. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I, <laughs> you don't do anything. Well, I, I just, I just like, uh, oh, I, okay. That's not, I thought you were saying something else. Back to James. <laughs> I, I forgot the fuck I was going to say. Classic Seamus. I like that. Uh, like with his podcast and all, he's, he's still, he's hungry. Like, like he's, he still has whales. He's, he wants to go after. I don't think they're like un- unattainable, like maybe day nine a, a little bit, but I think like, like Rudy, and possibly some of the other people he, he's looking to talk to. And it's also interesting because those are two guests that are kind of completely different than the, the people he, he has talked to. Uh, and it's cool that he wants to kind of branch because like magic, magic is, it's kind of ambiguous. I guess if once you break it down, like all the different facets of it, like it's not just people playing cards, it's content creators, it's streamers, it's, it's finance. Like it, it, there's like so many different avenues of, of the game itself, but then there's also the back side of the game of the, the, artists the the people that are in game development the the people that are in market like there's there's so many like different parts of magic where there there's probably a lot more humans he, he can talk to which, which yeah. is cool get a lot of their perspective as well i think i think human experience is cool in general and like to have that connected to something that you're already passionate about it's like it's a good engine and I, one of the things I, I am envious of all his guests he automatically has like an in for because they're all magic players and i wish we like I, not that i wish it but like it is it's a kind of an icebreaker, like because you can just start talking to these people right away and just start talking about magic. 
yeah. at all. Like we're, we don't necessarily have that where we're, we're usually talking to people. We have no idea about their industry. It has an interesting, that's an interesting like skill that we're, we've developed a little bit. We're going to continue to develop, like being able to have somebody come in and then find their, uh, their stance in, in life or their role that they play and like get that out of them or get them to talk about that. Or, and, and then, and then on, on that level, like find, you know, some way to connect with them to where they can let their guard down and really, really let that real experience flow out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not cool guy though. Really appreciate him reaching out to us. I appreciate a lot of his insights too, into like just personal development and. Yeah. I always like people that are like way more in, into like the hobbies than I am and all not, not, not in magic in particular, but like even like the interview, like he, he like studied other interviewers. Like I wish I had that, that drive where I, I, I'm trying to like get better in, in that sense. I, I, I have a, I have a thought to do that, but like all I do is go and watch uh, hot ones, you know, cause he's a good interviewer. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash WWSD underscore podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I think that we're doing the podcast because we love it. I, I, at least I have the sense today that you guys love what you do and you guys are hanging out with your friend, good friends, so that's really good. And I like doing my podcast because I love it, but at the same time, I also want it to go out to people, right? That's kind of like the tension of, I want to do it for myself, but I also care that it goes out to a wider audience because I'm doing it already. So why not? Why shouldn't I try to go bigger? So I think corporations, <laughs> hashtag capitalism, they face the <laughs> same thing. So this is, again, me being an apologist. Like It's very hard to just criticize systems and incentives for making people do that when it's like, I am very obviously doing that even on an individual yeah. level. Like It'd be very cool if we could figure out like you know how, how, to, how to set up those boundaries. Maybe it's a new way, right? Because yeah. this way is just going to incentivize this type of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the the way the way the the way the economy is like compartmentalizing to it's, it's becoming like one thing. Like every, everybody's becoming their own corporation, basically. Yeah, like, that's, that's kind of where we're. I going. think you're talking me into communism, man. I think we just need to. <laughs> just... I, I'm I'm not trying to do that. I don't I don't agree with communism at I'm all. Joking. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine magic cards in the communist setting? Like it'd be so weird. <laughs> uh, There's no rarity. Like it's, oh it's yeah, like it's just like living uh, card this, game. I it's it's my turn to win this week. Yeah. <laughs> We'll just, we'll just reboot Magic the Gathering as Dominion. All right. It's yeah. just be a box set. You just buy it once. You're good. <laughs>